are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, we're doing a series of messages on practical Christian living. This is the second of the series. We're going to cover from James chapter 1, verse 13 to 18 today. The title of this message is Making Biblically Based Choices. Amen. Man, you can't go wrong if you do what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Every Christian should understand that Christians experience adversity. We all know that, right? That's no news. It's not new news, that's for sure. Even when we're living a holy, close, intimate walk with the Lord, the Bible says all who live godly will suffer persecution. Now, The Greek noun is generally translated temptation, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, says that there has no temptation taken you, but as such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. When we're going through a difficult time, it's easy to think that there's no one ever gone through what I'm going through. But the Bible says that everything that you and I go through is common. Other people are going through it. And you don't have to have very many people together before you find that there's someone in the group that's experiencing the basically the same thing that you're experiencing right now. This also refers to trials, hardships, sickness, adversity that come into our lives. When you have, a victorious, when you have victoriously overcome a certain kind of adversity, God will use you to use that thing that you have gone through, that pain, that hurt, that sorrow, that difficulty, to minister to somebody else. You see, when God blesses you, it is to bless somebody else. And there's a tremendous blessing when you can know that you have helped somebody by sharing how God brought you through a difficult trial. Whether it be sickness, financial loss, death, divorce, or other troubles which are common to man. In the first 12 verses, James has told us the good things that happen if we trust God in our trials. 
James now has to deal with the other possibility as well. A trial always requires us to choose between one of two responses. We can trust God and faithfully endure the ordeal and gain from the experience. Be stronger for it. And the other choice is to wallow in self-pity and anger, draw back, get bitter, draw away from God, and go our own way and suffer great loss. Then there's the, the ministry aspect associated with adversity, as I mentioned there before. And it, it talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Are you in a trial today? Are you in some kind of a temptation, trial, difficult time? How are you responding? How are you making out? Are you drawing closer to God or are you drawing away from God? The fact that you're here this morning is a good indication that you're moving towards God rather than away from him. You still believe that there is hope. You still believe that God can come up with a solution to your problem. Remember what James told us to do in a trial. Verse 5, he tells us to ask God for wisdom. Lord, show me how to act and react. Show me what's going on. And so first of all, Wisdom from above will help us respond as God would have us to. But number one, I am responsible for my choices. I will definitely make a choice in every situation that I face, but I'm responsible for the choice. In verse 13, James says, let no man say when he is tempted or going through a trial, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now that word evil is not just something that is bad and sinful. That is often used in Scripture to indicate a difficult situation, a hard time, a difficult trial. 
When you are tempted to curse God and die, to murmur and complain, to go out and get drunk, if you yield to those temptations, don't blame God for your choice. That is your choice. You chose to do that. God is not giving you a hard time. He's not punishing you. These are, these are thoughts that the devil puts in your mind. And the, and, the, and the most, the Christian who is living closest to God, when they come into a trial, one of the first things that comes into their mind, what have I done wrong? Lord, search my heart. See if I've done anything wrong. Show me what I've done wrong so that I can make it right, so that I can get healed from this affliction. But God don't punish you that way. God has declared there's a day coming, a judgment day coming when all who do not know God will be judged for their sin. Every believer, their sin has been pardoned. They've been washed, made clean by the blood of Jesus. And God is not going to punish you for something that Jesus, his only begotten son, died on the cross to set you free from. He's not going to punish you for that. Even while they were crucifying, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Got away from my notes there, so I got to find out where I was. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 43. You see... God wants to help you and to bring something good into your life. He's got your best interest at heart. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be healthy and strong. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Are you redeemed? You're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. I have called you by your name. You are mine. We have a new name, folks. We're Christians. Born again Christians. Not in name only. But in experience, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You're never alone, you see. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor will the flame scorch you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What is God saying there? He's saying no matter how deep the trouble you are in, no matter how hard the trial, no matter how difficult the pain, no matter how difficult the hurt, 
the disappointment. I will be with you. I am your God. I will never leave you or forsake you. You've got a God that loves you and that cares for you. And he's on your side. God wants you to know that if you will trust him in the midst of your trial, that thing that seems more than you can bear will not consume you. You will come through this trial victorious and stronger than ever. Remember Job. The Bible says that after he went through that trial, the last part of his life was better than the first. God will never tempt you or cause you to sin. The inclination to do that does not come from God. It comes from stuff inside of me and inside of you. The pressures are not making you do those kinds of things. The trial is not making you sin. It's only exposing what's in here. When you go wrong, we look for someone to blame, right? Remember Adam and Eve? When, when they made that bad choice that affects every one of us even to this very day. Adam blamed Eve, and in doing so, he, he indirectly blamed God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, God confronted him. He said, the woman you gave me, she made me eat the tree of the tree, and I ate. Lord, if you hadn't given me that woman, I'd have been okay. When, Eve, when it came Eve's turn to respond, basically what she said, the devil made me do it. She said in Genesis 3.13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Indirectly again, blaming God. If you hadn't created the old serpent, I wouldn't have been deceived and I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. If we're ever going to learn from our experiences, we must take responsibility for our choices. The excuses are endless. The people to blame are endless. The circumstances to blame are endless. And if all else fails, you can't find anyone else to blame. Blame God. But James says, one thing is for sure. If you and I sin, it is never, never, ever God's fault. God does not lead anybody into sin. It's an absolute impossibility because there is nothing at all sinful in God. God cannot be tempted to sin because he has a sinless nature. Now James gives a a Holy Spirit revelation concerning the source of our sin. It is not God, it is not even the devil, it's our own inner desires. And this is what he says, verse 14, 
but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Desire itself is not necessarily evil. That just refers to the human motivations that we all have. But God makes a way for those desires to be legitimately satisfied. Sin comes in when we decide to fulfill a desire in an illegitimate way. For example, it is right to desire food and, and to fulfill that desire by earning money to buy groceries. But it is sin to fulfill that desire by stealing money to buy groceries. Paul told the Ephesian Christians not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. On the surface, it seems strange that he would bring such opposites together. But behind both, there is the same desire. Why do a person get drunk with wine or whiskey or any other alcoholic beverage? Because it exhilarates him, lifts him above his troubles, makes him feel alive. For a few hours, you feel on top of the world. I've never tried drugs, but I would imagine it's close to the same thing. God has a legitimate way for that desire to be fulfilled. It happens when we accept Christ into our lives and when we become filled with the Spirit. The desire is the same. The legitimate fulfillment is to draw near to God and to be filled with the Spirit. Getting drunk is an illegitimate effort to fulfill a legitimate desire. When you're drunk on the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, it lasts. And there are no headaches involved with it. The passion you feel in your soul is God-given. It is a gift from God. Without it, you're spiritually dead. And I could go on and on and name a whole lot of things, okay? What about the desire for sexual fulfillment? God has a legitimate way for that to be fulfilled. It's called the institution of marriage. There's nothing wrong with desire. But what you do with it is the issue. How you satisfy it. And it's your responsibility. And it's mine. Secondly, there are consequences for my choices. James gives a powerful contrast between the ultimate consequence of persevering through a trial and rebelling and blaming God. On the one hand, the person who perseveres receives the crown of life. 
That's the end result. On the other hand, the person who strays in sin and do not repent experiences spiritual death. James 1.15 says this, when desire has conceived, it brings forth, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. God gives us everything we need to deal with the trials of life. We have to choose how we will respond. We have to decide whether we will trust God or whether we will blame God and rebel. That is a personal decision. Even God will not make that decision for me or for you. Here's what God has done. He has given us his son. He died on the cross to set us free and to keep us free. And the Bible says that whoever the son of God sets free is free indeed. Here's what he will do. He will draw you by his Holy Spirit to himself. He will speak to us and encourage us in our trials. But we have to choose, as Joshua put it to Israel in Joshua chapter 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in the, whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. There's a biblical illustration in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 that reviewed the history of Israel in the wilderness. And their bad choice. God brought Israel into the wilderness as a part of the process of bringing them out of bondage into a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land, which we now know as Israel. God's intention for that first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt was to bless them with abundance of provision. But this did not happen. They died in the wilderness, and because they made a choice to rebel against God rather than to trust him. They couldn't believe that God could give them the victory. They refused to follow him into the promised land. And you know the story. They drew back in unbelief. They murmured against God. They accused him of bringing them into the de desert trial to destroy them. And the good that God intended for them was never realized because of the choices that they made. And so a whole generation had to die in the wilderness before they could go in. Everyone over 20 years of age, the Bible says, died. And that took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for that generation to die off. And when they stood on the brink of the Jordan, ready to go across under the leadership of, of Joshua, there were only two men 
80 years of age. That was Joshua and Caleb. The oldest person under that was 60 years of age. Guys who were 20 when God made a decree that they would never go into the land. And so they saw their parents and their grandparents die off. And now those who were 20 were now 60 years of age, 40 years later. And they're ready to go in. And sometimes it is sad. It has happened in Coal Lake. We don't need to go any further than Coal Lake. I could give you a history of a lot of churches. The same thing happened. It happens in churches just like it did for Israel. There's a whole generation of people. There was a time when Coal Lake Community Church, it wasn't called Coal Lake Community Church at that time, but it was a congregation from this, what this church came from. A congregation as strong as this here today. And it dwindled down so far that they couldn't afford to pay the mortgage on the building. And we had to sell the building. The PAOC had to sell the building. And it wasn't until Effie and I came that we were able to get into a point where we could get out of a storefront into a little warehouse where we finally got into this place. There was a lot of wilderness wandering, wandering because something had happened. And God couldn't do anything with that congregation. There's only a handful of the people who were, went through that that are part of this congregation today. And if that happened once, it can happen twice, it can happen a dozen times. I'm going to tell you, if the children of Israel under Joshua, had got to that bank of that river and said, it's too wild, it's too hard, it's too difficult, they've got walled cities, we can't go in, the same thing would have happened again. God would have wiped out that crowd, allowed that crowd to die off until he had another group of people who were filled with, with, with desire for God to move, and then he would start it all over again. And folks, we have the glorious opportunity to be at the brink of the Jordan again, the spiritual Jordan. And the question is, are we going to go across this time? Whatever God says we will do, that's what they said. But they wouldn't do it. When, it, when push came to shove, they wouldn't do it. But I got a feeling there's an excitement building within the hearts of God's people and you're saying, we're going to go all out for God. Hold on to your seats, folks. I think we're in for a great ride. We're going to lift off this fall. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Believe God for some great things. Now, I have got way off from my notes, and so 
I'm going to try to wrap up now real quick. The point that James is making in verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And I guess this is why I was telling you this. We can be deceived. And then you're thinking, well, praise the Lord. You know things are going good. We're doing pretty good and everything. And we can get so comfortable in that that uh, we just lose everything. So the point that James is making in verse 16, do not be deceived. Don't, don't go astray while you're in a trial. He's talking about the danger of forgetting the truth of God's word, missing God's plan and purpose for your life. It can happen, and we need to guard against that. So we need to understand what is at stake. It matters how we respond in a trial. Now, number three, base your choices on the principles and the promises of God's word. For anyone who may have a wrong perception of God, our Heavenly Father, James now reminds us of what God is really like. James 1, 17 to 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Rather than being the source of of any evil, God is the source of everything good. Every good and perfect gift. Instead of accusing God of tempting us, we should thank him for blessing us. And realize that God is always in the habit of when the devil comes against us like a roaring lion, he has a way of coming in like a flood. He has a way of coming into our situation. He has a way of turning the tables on the devil and causing that very thing that the devil meant to destroy you, to lift you out of that and cause you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and you come out on the other side of that trial stronger and more vibrant than ever and more of a danger to the kingdom of the devil than you ever was before. Instead of accusing God of tempting us, thank him for his blessing. The food to eat ultimately came from God. The food that you eat today, the breakfast that you had today, the dinner that you're going to have, it eventually ultimately came from God. You may have worked hard to buy the food, but God gave you the strength. God gave you the wisdom to put in an application to go to that job where you got a higher paying job than you ever had before. Amen? You got to realize that your life is not an island unto itself. You need God. You need to trust him in the little things of life because those little things become big things later on. God is the one and only source of all good things. The harder the trial, the more important it is to remember the good things that God has done for you and is in the process of doing. You know, some people, I, I, I read somewhere, some people, they give up when the answer is so close. The next day, the next month, the next few hours, God is about to move in, and you give up. 
just when you are about to have your answer. Maintaining a thankful heart is not always easy, but it's the right thing to do. It will strengthen your resolve to trust the Lord to fulfill his promise. James refers to God as the father of lights. He is not the father of darkness. The devil is the prince of darkness, but he's the father of lights. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible declares that he is unchangeable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. In other words, if you're walking in darkness, it's your choice. Because there's light. Turn towards the light. Turn towards Jesus. If he hasn't changed your circumstances, it's not because he can't. God is able. Settle that in your heart and in your mind right now. God is able. And God has promised. Nobody coerced God into bringing you into his family. He did it of his own free will. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you are in a trial, know without a doubt that God is for you, not against you. He has already demonstrated that. His purpose for you remains the same whether you're having a good day or a bad day. James 1.18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. Remember, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. It's not sickness. That's not God's plan. It's not disease. It's not poverty. It's not depression and fear. None of these things are from God. Jeremiah 29 verses 1 to 13 says, For I know the thoughts that I think for you, towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Don't be half-hearted, folks. Get right down to business. Stand on the word of God. Remind God of his promises and that you believe them and that you're standing on them and receive from his bountiful supply. So in conclusion, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. When you're going through a deep trial, sometimes you don't even feel like he's close, like he's far away, like he's forgotten you. And if you go by feelings, that's a sad situation to be in. But even when you don't feel it, 
You have to believe it because God's word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But of course, when we're in times of refreshing and revival, we feel different. We're on the mountaintop. We can rejoice. We can sing. We can clap our hands. We can shout. We can laugh, even in church. Amen? But feelings change, but God never. We walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. So we rely on the truth of his word. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to ask, oh God, why? Why me? Maybe we should be saying, why not me? You see, everyone is important to God. God cares just as much about me as he cares about you. James 1.17, in him there is no variation of shadow or shadow of turning. God is not changed. Just because your circumstances has changed, God is still the same. So, how can we have joy in the midst of great trials? We'll take responsibility for our choices. Amen? We'll consider the consequences of those choices. Consider what happens if I make the wrong choice. <clears throat> How do I know I'm making the wrong choice? What does the Bible say? Dig into that word. Find out what the Bible says about the choice you're about to make. Is it a godly choice or is it a fleshly choice? And I think we all know the choice we should make. We will base our choices on the principles and the promises of God's word. Amen? I don't think I have to say another word. The Holy Spirit honors the word of God. And I trust that you have heard something today that will give you hope. Hope for tomorrow. Hope for your marriage. Hope for your finances. Hope for your health. Hope for eternity. Could you all stand with me, please? If there's anybody that <clears throat> needs prayer this morning for anything, you can come and, and we'll pray with you. But I just want to Thank you for your attention today and just want to just put in a plug for Alpha. Alpha is going great. If you haven't tried Alpha yet, try Alpha this week. Beautiful thing about Alpha, you can come in at any time, bring a friend. Amen. It's a wonderful opportunity. Who knows what God will do if you and I do our part. Amen. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word today. 
I want to thank you, Lord, that you never fail. And Lord, you care about your children. You care about your creation. So I pray your choice blessing upon each one today. As we go to our different homes, I pray, Lord, that you will bless. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your people will discuss what this word has meant to them today. I pray that they'll make it a, a point of discussion around the dinner table, in the restaurant, wherever they go for lunch. So that your Holy Spirit can minister one to another. And we want to give you all of the honor and the glory and the praise for what you're doing in this place. If there's one person that needs you as their Savior today, I pray that they will come forward and meet us here at the altar. If there's one prodigal son or daughter who strayed away, has been living loosely or carelessly, and your Holy Spirit have pricked their heart today, I pray that this will be the day that they will decide to come back to you. If there's anyone here that needs healing in their body, whether they've come a dozen times before, I pray they'll come once more. Because this may be the day that their healing is manifested in their body. Bless us as we go to our different homes. We give you all of the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, folks. Anyone needs prayer, you come. We're going to pray with you. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.